0: Good morning. Good morning, and uh, welcome to um, Palm Sunday, as uh, Neil has already introduced us to. It's a good morning to continue. I just feel it's a good morning to continue uh, with the story of Esther. Um, I have uh, thoroughly enjoyed the Book of Esther in 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 my own devotionals and my own time, and as if as I've said to you last week, I've spent the last couple of months docked there in the story of Esther. Last week we we learned that it's a story that tells, the book of Esther tells a story that God is always working in the background of our lives. And that's the part I want to start out today at, is that God, no matter where you're at and what you sense is going on, God is always working in the background of our lives. And uh, for those of us who were here last week, uh we, we tease that out a wee bit more. Uh into part two of Esther and uh, um this young girl, this orphan girl who uh who's from the way back and beyond the, probably the least in her society because she is an orphan of and uh, she's probably the least qualified from a small group of suppressed people. Um enters a process under the guidance of her adopted father and uh, moves within the process beats all the odds and becomes queen she wins the favor of the people whom she uh, the people who are, are in charge of her the people who are in charge of her going through this stage of her life she wins the favor At the end of it she wins the favour of all the people of the city. And then um, we read that she goes before the king and she wins his favour. And Chapter 2 verse 19, one translation says that the king fell in love with her. We all love those uh, sweetheart stories, don't we? We love the rags to riches story. But as I said last week, the story doesn't end there. As beautiful as it is, it has two more upward twists. God has a purpose for Esther's life. Last week, we looked at three keys that that I believe that we needed to carry if we're going to be kingdom-minded people. First and foremost, and we'll see this right throughout the story, even continue on today. Obedience to the king. Obedience to the king is crucial for you to continue in the kingdom of God, to continue to live out the purposes of God in your life. The second is trustworthiness. You can be as obedient all you like, but if you're not trustworthy, how is he going to entrust you to carry the precious things of the kingdom? And so she was trustworthy. She displayed her trustworthiness in her obedience to her uncle. And thirdly, having the right attitude and the right perspective, because this is what will carry you through the different seasons of life. Life will have many seasons for us all, but it's the attitude and um, it's the it's the perspective that we have. Will determine how we come out of those seasons You see for her she could have had It would have been easy for her to say It's not possible This is not possible Ever hear yourself saying that? I've heard myself say that many times It's not possible It's not fair I've probably heard myself say that more Actually It's not fair This is not fair Life's not fair let me tell you, life for Esther was not fair at all, at all. And, uh, and this week, I, I want to, to share on another attitude that um, I believe that Esther was tempted to say, it's not my responsibility attitude. It's not my responsibility. And so that leads me into the four keys that I want to share with you today. I've already mentioned them last week. Responsibility, authority, strategy and legacy You see God always has a purpose in mind When he elevates or promotes a person The end result is that that it's not glorification for that person That's not the end result Although that might happen in the process The story throughout the Bible is God is redeeming a people back to himself. He longs to redeem and rescue a people back to himself. And why does he want to do that? Why does God want to redeem and rescue a people back to himself? The purpose is it's a present to his son. Did you know that you, the church, are a present to Jesus? We are his bride and we will be his gift on that wedding day. The end of chapter two ends with Esther is now queen. God is moving her into position and in in verse 20, she continues to respect the wishes of her uncle Mordecai by not revealing her identity. I love in, in my office, I I have good conversation um, about sometimes I'm asked the question what I'm speaking on or what's whatever. And uh, one of the girls uh, said to me that she was deceitful in this part of the story. And I said, you're only deceitful if you're telling lies. And nowhere do we read in this story that Esther told lies about her identity. She was never asked about it. But she held it back. She didn't reveal her identity. And one thing I've learned in the kingdom is that, there, that even though we have the power and the right to speak, sometimes there's times we need to be silent. There's times that you need to, as an old Irish man would have said, hold your water. Not tell everything that's in your mind. It's a kingdom principle. It's called meekness. We read about it in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are meek. Meek does not mean weak. Sometimes we say, think if we don't share what's on our mind, if we don't tell everything that's in here, we're somehow weak. It's called meekness. It's power. The definition of meekness is power under control. You see, the tongue is the most powerful. Part of the body, James and Proverbs tells us, and the person who can tame the tongue, who can hold the tongue, is the person who can control every other part of their body. I could get sidetracked on that because I think it's a message to me, also. Her uncle continues to watch over her at the gateway. We read as we as we enter into chapter. And there's a beautiful picture of how even in the successful times of our lives Our adopted father never takes his eye off us But one day while he's there, while he's sitting at the gate He just by chance or just by coincidence Or is it? He stumbles across a conversation of two people And what these two people are doing They're conspiring how to assassinate the king And Mordecai is able to report this back to Esther and Esther is able to tell the king and the plot is uncovered and the the men are hung, they're executed. And Esther ensures that Mordecai gets the due credit for this. She doesn't claim the credit for herself but she makes sure that Mordecai receives the credit. And then the king, what the king does with that is he ensures that that piece of information, that act of kindness is logged down somewhere. It seems quite insignificant, but it isn't. It's important later on in the story. And it's a great picture of how God is working in the background of our lives, logging down all our acts acts of kindness. Large, both large, large and small. He's logging the small and large details of our lives. The story continues on. And that's the first upward twist. She, she, um, she rescues her and Mordecai rescues the king. The story continues on. And, and uh, we enter the second upward twist in Esther's life. At this stage of her life, she's five years queen. She's probably getting well settled in. For those of you who are five years married uh, or or above, you know, the saying is you've got your feet well under the table at this stage. And uh, she's probably well settled in. And in chapter 3, it tells us that um, King Xerxes finds himself a new friend. And this new friend's name is Haman. And he's not alone the king's best friend, but the king puts him in charge of all of his wealth. Haman and Mordecai, Esther's adopted father, are poles apart. Haman is a man, we read as we read on into the story, he's a man who is, who is full of his own importance. He's interested in people bowing down to him. He's interested in self-promotion. He kind of likes to ride on a high horse, as you would say, Neil. Mordecai, we read, is not like this at all. He's only interested in the preservation and the rescuing of his people. Mordecai remains every day at the castle gates, watching over Esther from a distance Making sure Esther is okay And every time Haman would enter and leave the, Through the gates Mordecai would refuse to bow down to him He would f- refuse to, to um, stroke Haman's ego And this would really annoy Haman You know today we live with a lot of people who have got big egos It's very sad And the sad thing is that it's probably Crept into all of our lives In one way or another Mordecai didn't hide his identity He didn't feel it was necessary He was, he was open with everybody That he was a Jew Although he had told Esther to hide her identity and so Haman devises this plan I know one way to get back at Mordecai I know what will really annoy Mordecai Isn't it funny the enemy knows What will really annoy us at times? Doesn't he really, sometimes he really knows the buttons to push So Haman devises this plan To get Mordecai back And uh, he knows how to hurt him. And so he gets the king to issue a decree to wipe out all the Jews right across the entire empire. Even Esther's own family. Jews are going to be wiped out in this massive province. And because they're so close, the king issues the decree. And the letter is sent far and wide into every province. The Jews, God's people, of which Esther is one, will be wiped out. As we enter chapter 4, we see that Mordecai is so, so disturbed. He's so disturbed that that he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and sat at the city gate wailing loudly and bitterly. This man's heart is broken for his people. And uh, Esther hears of the news. Over a period of time, the news gets back to Esther that Mordecai, her, her, her adopted father, is behaving in this way. And so she sends a message out why, what's going on, what's wrong. You know, she's totally oblivious to what's going on around her. And I was really challenged by this because sometimes we can be sitting in our own man-made palaces, our own man-made empires, our own man-made environments, and we can be totally oblivious to what's going on around us, even to our own people. A conversation, a dialogue happens backwards and forwards between the two. And again, we see the heart of Mordecai in this passage. In this dialogue, and I'm sorry if, if I'm reading into it too much. You can read it yourself when you get home. But it seems to me as if Esther nearly responds back to Mordecai. What's all this got to do with me? It's not, it's really not my responsibility, Mordecai. The king is the king and he can do as he likes. And Mordecai, or uh, on Haman, and him can get on with it. I'm just the queen. I don't really have much to do with it. But Mordecai is straight with Esther in this passage. And he says to her in verses 12 and 14, in between those verses, I'll paraphrase it. Don't just think because you're a queen, you or your family is going to get off of this. You're going to be wiped out too he tells her a few home truths you know sometimes we all need a few home truths don't we we all need a few home truths well i know i do i'm not sure about you the second thing he tells her if you don't if you don't do something about this god's going to find someone else to take your place and the third thing is maybe just in spite of all the opposition, and all the difficulty and all the challenges and everything that you have came through, Esther, maybe, just maybe, God has raised you into this position for this moment so you can do something about it. Maybe, just maybe, God has raised some of us into this moment so we can do something about what's going on around us. And so we see between these verses and the next next section something shifts within Esther. She moves from a place of making excuses. It's such and so's fault. It's not my fault. It's something to do with somebody else. She moves from that place to a person who takes on responsibility. I think there's something in that word responsibility. And something in the time that we're living in today, and probably is a whole message on its own, but we live in a culture where everybody else is at fault, or everybody else is wrong, or everybody else has done something against me. That has never changed down throughout the ages. But the reality is now we don't take on responsibility because we think it's good enough just to say that. It's a beautiful picture how God, this dialogue, this conversation is a beautiful picture of how God wants us to be connected with the purposes that he has for our lives. And so it's a new time and it's a, It's a new time in Esther's life Prior to this All the decisions All everything Even what she ate Everything was made for her Was made for her But now she has to Take on ownership Of the responsibility And the fate of her people Last week I talked about this idea Of growing up in him And it's like this growing up moment In Esther's life and God is looking for a people that will grow up in him. That he can trust, will carry the kingdom to the people around, him, around you. Maybe you're like Esther. Maybe I'm like Esther. We need to enter into a few hard conversations and understand what the responsibilities we have been given. Sometimes you know it takes a little bit of pressure. Sometimes it takes a bit of of difficulty, external difficulty, for us to define what our lives are about. It's called the refining process. Maybe someday we could speak on that. God has a refining process. And two things that I have found helpful in these times, in these times of pressure, in these times of Of refining is one. When God can trust you with a little. He'll trust you with a lot. And the second is God is always going to call you to something. Greater than your ability now. If it's not bigger than your ability at this moment. I would wonder. I would question. Is it something that God is calling you to? The second thing that I wanted to look at this morning is once she has taken on this responsibility, she needs to decide where her authority is going to come from. Authority or advice. You see, Mordecai, she was faced with this dilemma. She had Mordecai on one side, who was her father or adopted father, who has helped her through the whole process so far. And his resolve in this matter is just you go before the king and he'll sort it all out. Well, there's an element of truth in that. And then she has her spads. We heard about spads uh, last year in the ORHI, and how all the ministers have spads, special advisors. And she would have had lots of special advisors and her special advisors would have had a unanimous decision. Go before the king uninvited, and you'll be sorted out. You'll end up like the last queen. And it's nearly as if Esther, in this point, says, I sense I need to hear somebody else's voice in this scenario. I sense. That there there needs to be a higher authority in this. And so what we read in verse 16 is she declares a fast for all her people. She sends the news back to Mordecai and Mordecai sends the news back to the foreign land. Fast for me for three days. And me being me and living in the culture we're living in, there's a lot of talk about prayer And there's a lot of talk about prayer and worship events And there's a lot of talk about prayer and fasting But There's no mention Of worship in this And there's no mention of prayer And so it caused me to hover on this moment Or in this part of the story for a little Why did she just say Go and tell the people to fast Well Within Jewish culture, Esther would have been brought up with probably sitting on Mordecai's knee. Night after night being told stories of what her fathers and her grandfathers and her great-grandfathers and many generations back would have been doing. There was probably no Harry Potter or whatever the latest book that I'm going to have to get into in those days. That's what the evenings would have been spent in. Telling the stories of generations and generations and generations and generations back. And she would have heard of a story that was 450 years prior. There was a king, his name was Jehoshaphat. And I know Sturdy spoke on this, I didn't hear much of what you spoke on, is that right, on Friday morning? Or was it? Yeah, And there's a king called Jehoshaphat And he was the king of Judah and the, and the tribe of Judah And the tribe of Benjamin The tribe of Benjamin is where Esther came from Were closely connected They were close cousins And at times they had the one king But in 2nd Chronicles Chapter 20 It's a really great story And maybe someday We could, we could hear this story but we've got a king who faces an awful dilemma. There is armies coming to, connect, to, to uh, wipe out the children of Israel. And, uh, and what he does is he declares a fast. This king Jehoshaphat declares a fast so he can, so the, so he can set his face to seek the Lord. We often hear people saying, We're going to do such and such. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Will you pray for us? It wasn't this case within this story. And it wasn't this case within the story of Esther. They set their faces to seek God. And out of that, following God's command, out of that, we see that Jehoshaphat had a great victory. It's a great story. Uh, there's lots in it, as I said. One of the interesting parts, I think, in this story is that as the, as the nation sought the Lord and as Jehoshaphat led the nation in seeking God through a fast, it was interesting who God gave the word to for the nation. That's an interesting study on its own. The man named, I can't remember, but he's in that. And sit down and have a wee look at that man's life. You see, following God, following God's commandments often don't make sense. And you'll see that, and she would have known that within that story. How God gave Jehoshaphat the victory was, was not how I would have led a battle anyway. And so we need to remember that she's here, she's in her early 20s probably, and her actions will determine the fate and the destiny of herself. Her nation, her family, and her nation. And so I'm reminded that you know your actions today. How you act and react, and I've shared this before, how you act and react within situations will determine the fate of the people around you. You do not live isolated in this world. And your uh, and people that are making decisions. And you're a bit like Esther You're living in your own world And you don't realise That those decisions are going to affect your family They're going to affect A nation They're going to affect the community you're in And so just be careful Of that Esther wasn't afraid of her own life The fear was that the Jewish people Would be lost You see for a Jew A Jew she would have lived up with the idea of laying down her life for her brother or her sister. Romans 12, Paul talks about that in Romans 12 verse 1. Being living sacrifices. Out of that three day fast, I believe God gave Esther what you call strategy. It's not a word that's talked a lot about. Strategy. But God gave Her a unique strategy It's a critical part of the story Because Esther not alone Needs to win approval of the king To save her own life She needs to win approval of the king To save as I've said Her family But she also needs to do something else In this story She needs to be able to get the king To see Haman This nasty Prime minister For who he is and be able to deal with that And, uh, and then As I've said Show favour to her people Esther goes after the three day fast And she's asked the people To fast for her For strategy And she goes before the king And the king lowers his, his scepter She goes uninvited before the king Which wasn't Allowed But the king had won, Esther had won so much favor in the king's eyes that he just lowers his scepter, his golden staff and says, come Esther, tell me why you're so troubled. And it's the invitation is here to us today. Come and talk to the king. Tell him why you are so troubled. Tell him what's breaking your heart. He wants to listen. The king's response to Esther is. Esther have up to half of my kingdom. It's yours anyway. Do as you please. It must have been a very tempting point for Esther. To say okay king thanks very much. And uh, by the way. Da da da. But she refuses. And um, she goes on to deliver strategy we don't have enough time to go into the strategy but basically um, what she does is she invites the king and Haman and all the officials to two nights of partying and during these two nights of partying what the what God does is he reminds the king about an incident that happened five years ago that's recorded that seems insignificant but it's recorded It's the story of where Mordecai saves the king's life. And so there's a beautiful picture as Esther's getting on working out the strategy God has given her, putting that in place what she knows best. God, on the other hand, is working and he is bringing things together as well. And so the two collide within the story. God working and Esther working. And what we see is there is an unbelievable outcome. The king sees Haman for who he is. And he is hung on the gallows that he has built for his enemy. The Jewish people are elevated and fever and oppression is lifted off. There is a huge party. There is a huge festival. I told you earlier about letters going out. Those letters went out to invite girls to come in with a chance to be queen. And then these letters go out to say that all Jews are going to be slaughtered. I wonder what the letters were that went out at the end of all this story. But that leads me into the fourth and final part, Legacy. You know the story of Esther Is still being told and celebrated Within the Jewish culture Two and a half thousand years later Every year they have a celebration For the life of Esther They say that a generation Is approximately 25 years One thousand generations later This story is being told And uh, it makes me ask the question What's the story going to be told of my life? What is the story going to be told of your life? Oh I I don't know I don't know what the story is going to be told of my life In one generation or two generations time But what is the story going to be told of your life in a thousand generations? Will it be even remembered? Now last week I felt through obedience, trustworthiness and attitude God wanted to increase people's capacity to carry his presence and to extend his kingdom. And this week as I, as I looked at responsibility Authority, strategy and legacy I felt there was something on the word courage Courage You see it takes courage to stay in the conversations That we sometimes need to have To find out what the responsibilities we have before us It takes courage to stay in those conversations those are not sometimes nice conversations And we need to engage in them It takes courage to seek a new authority And it takes courage to live under that new authority It takes courage to implement strategy When God speaks, when he gives an idea When he, when he, when he leads, when he prompts You know it takes courage To implement that strategy. And if we want to be people of legacy. We need to have courage. We need to be people of courage. The word courage. And I'm I'm very nearly finished. Give me three more minutes. The word courage. Is rooted. Biblical courage. Is rooted. In Matthew 14. 14. It's the story of where Jesus says to Peter, at my commandment, step out on the water. Courage isn't a thing that you just go and pick up off the shelf. or Courage isn't something that you can just stir up within yourself. That is a form of courage. But it's not the courage that we're called to live by. We're called to live by a courage that comes. From the mouth of Jesus. And so that's what the kingdom carriers. I believe are meant to look at. We are living in a new day. And a new time. And uh, as I said last week. God's working in the background. And today I believe is we need to see. We have a critical part to play. God works in partnership. With his people. And so obedience to the king, as I finish, and then Neil's going to come and pray. Obedience to the king, trustworthiness, the the capacity to enter different seasons of life with the right attitude. People who will take on the responsibility for our nation and our generation. And I'm so glad there are people in this room that do. I'm so glad of that. There are people in this room who don't live isolated, who don't live selfishly, but who are engaging in taking on the responsibility of this nation, of this generation, this 25 years that we're living in. Who will seek and live under authority. Who will seek and deliver strategy. And who will long to leave a legacy. And that's what we see in the book of Esther.